0: Gold is money, it is the most sound money you know, available. It is the golden constant. It doesn't ever change. The confidence in fiat currencies, the U.S. dollar, goes up and down, and generally down, which makes it look like the price of gold is going up and down, and generally up. So we're in a situation now where young 24-year-olds are thinking. You know, they're getting disillusioned about saving. They don't think they'll ever be able to afford an apartment or a house. So they get involved in speculative things, speculative high-growth uh, options, uh, investments that might might be able to get them to catch up, to be able to. Effectively, they feel like they're swimming against the tide. How do they get that? How do they move forward? And and my my message is this. Look. Welcome to the Gold Exchange Podcast,
1: where we untangle market and policy complexity using timeless economic principles. For show notes and archives, go to goldexchangepodcast.com. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome back to the Gold Exchange Podcast. My name is Benjamin Nadelstein. I am joined as always by founder and CEO of Monetary Metals, and we are joined today by founder and CEO of Glint, Jason Cousins. Jason, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Ben, and it's a privilege to be on your podcast.
1: Jason, you got to tell us, where are we catching you today? Are you in New York City, Los Angeles? Where are you?
0: Yeah, well, I do spend a lot of time in New York—about one week a month. Uh, normally, I think I spent last year because that's obviously over fifty percent, more than fifty percent, of our customer base is over in the U.S. But I'm in London; it's where I base myself. My family are, and I'm actually—we're uh, doing this podcast from the Athenaeum Club. So it's a—it's a, it's a venerable club of uh, mainly academics. Uh, I don't quite know how they invited me, but uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate to be a member of the club. Uh, it's a beautiful building, and uh, some very interesting people are members.
2: I uh, had a chance to meet with Jason um, while uh, in the club when I was in London uh, some months back, and it's kind of a shame we didn't have a chance to record the podcast there because uh, that would be the one and only appearance on the podcast where I would have had not only a suit but actually a, uh, a tie.
0: I so know, yeah, that's it, one it, of the, it's, it's... you're catching me in my natural habitat. <laughs> In, in London,
2: I do I do down the tie. You,
0: well, you look you looked fantastic, Keith. We'll have to get you back in with the with the tie and shirt next time. I look forward to it.
1: Okay, so Jason, for anyone who doesn't know, what's your backstory and how did Glint get to help consumers invest in gold?
0: Okay, well, how long have you got? I'll 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 try and keep it short. But um look, for someone who's disrupting the financial services industry, I am not from financial services. Uh, Really, my background couldn't be further from financial services. I qualified as an architect originally, Ben, uh, and actually worked in Hong Kong uh, for a couple of years. And uh, there is one of my buildings up on uh, Wyndham Street there in Hong Kong. I only saw it up to the third floor because I came back to the UK. But when I was in Hong Kong, I kind of really got into my first computer, um, especially around things like visualization. And I and I realized at the time, that wow, computers are going to completely revolutionise how humans communicate and how they do things. And so, when I came back from Hong Kong, I threw myself into the world of virtual virtual reality. The first time, it was cool, um, and um, yeah, and 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 from there, really, my my career, my company that I set up, Visuality, we pivoted into building websites, and I started hiring teams of software engineers to build some of the first e-commerce systems. For the high street retailers here in the UK, so um, back then there were no off the shelf, off the off the shelf software systems. You couldn't. There was no Shopify or anything like that, so we had to build uh, the content management systems, e-commerce systems uh, from scratch. We had to look into the future and think about, um, you know, what was it this this emerging digital ecosystem could offer and how could we leverage it. That was a really fun time. Um, dot com boom and uh going through the bust. Um, and so my life really, you know, I was, I was into into building virtual architecture, build, you know, websites, e commerce, apps, and um, and then 2008 happened <laughs> the global financial crisis, which you know, some of your viewers and listeners will be very familiar with, some of your younger ones, not so much. But that, you know, for those who don't know, you know. Keith, I mean, you'll you, you you know you'll be able to describe this better than I can. But from my perspective, uh, you know, we came to the verge of complete collapse of the financial system. And if you listen to some of the chancellors, uh, the financial, the Fed people, you know, talking about it now. In hindsight, we were literally hours away from a complete breakdown in the banking and financial system. And so, for me, like I think a lot of my clients, it was the first time that I realized that when you put your money in the bank, it ceases to be yours. That money is lent out. It is given to people is put at risk, and there is no money in the bank. If we all ask for it, there'd be a run on the bank. There'd be no money to give to to its clients. And so I thought, well, hang on. I'm not that bothered about the small amount of interest I get from leaving my money in the bank. What is that risk free deposit store of value? Where can I put my money where it's not put at risk? And actually, you know, the whole banking system really is is it's a it's a farce kind of hiding in plain sight. I mean, you know, when people talk about risk to me, you know, they sometimes talk on the note in great detail about the risk behind behind systems around uh, vaulting, etc. But actually, the banking system, you know, people put their money in the banks. And, and yet it's the, it is the biggest, um, you know, there's nothing there. It's not it, it's, it's the emperor's new clothes. Um, but of course, when you start thinking about that, Um, You start thinking about other related issues, and of course, the other big one that came up in my mind was the the fact that uh, money does not buy you what it used to buy. And uh, I think you don't have to be very old to start realizing that when you were younger, you know, something would cost X, and now it costs X times three or X times ten. You know, why is that? Have these things got bigger, better? Have they? uh, What what what's happening? Of course the real shocking realization or real shocking truth for me that really came back. And I'm going to have to say this about four times just to let listeners really let it sink in. And actually, you know, on your podcast, they probably know this already, but the US dollar at the time had lost 85% of its purchasing power. and, And now I think it's 90%. And that's like, wow, we're using a form of money that's become worthless nearly. Um, and of course, it's not just the US dollar, it's every fiat currency. And uh I learned that up until nineteen seventy one, um, we'd been, you know, the dollar being backed partially by by gold, had a relative gold standard. And uh it was, you know, tempor- Nixon temporarily take, took us off the gold standard. Uh, it was supposed to be a temporary window. Yeah, temporarily. <laughs> and uh, we're still in that temporary window. And of course, because the U.S. didn't want my my perspective on it is that the U.S. didn't want to lose its gold. The French were busy going into New York Harbor with their warships, asking to exchange their dollars for gold. Fort Knox was going down. How far down, we don't know, of course, because I don't think there's been an audit since or many Um and um and we came off the gold standard and I and and so I was introduced to gold really through that process through that thinking and I thought well you know I looked at gold and gold still buys you what it did 3,000 years ago never mind 50 so why don't we just put ourselves onto our own personal gold standard why can't we enable gold as money in electronic payments um I thought to myself I, I every day I was kind of looking at things differently uh, in the with with the thought of how can we do this better how can we do it more efficiently how can we do something new in relation to an industry using this emerging digital ecosystem a bit of a curse really um i literally looked at everything everything i i did i was thinking thinking this way it was an obvious thing for me to do was to think well why can't we just enable gold as money um if it if, it, if it's no one else's liability if, it, if you're buying the right type of gold, if it's, if it's safe, if it's reliable in, in, in that regard, uh, if it has been money for thousands of years, why can't we use all this tech to be able to use gold as money? So that's what we did. We, we, uh, I was delusional enough to think that uh, I could make that happen. A lot of people said I wouldn't be allowed to, or we wouldn't be able to, but, you know, perceived and uh, persevered. Sorry. And um, yeah, we've, we've, that's what we've done. Galint, now for a number of years you know has been enabling gold as everyday money we're the first company in the world to enable money in electronic payments with the glint app and with the glint mastercard so you can literally buy gold you know ten dollars worth you know one dollars worth you can save it you can send it to other people that have glint accounts and you can spend it anywhere in the world so uh, recently I did my little I mean, Keith, you were over here in London and went on to different places around the world. I did something similar. I was in uh, Dubai and Switzerland and Auckland recently in Sydney, and I paid for the whole trip, of course, with, with gold. Um, and uh, it's doing its job for me and uh, for a lot of our customers believe in it too. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Um, I also I don't want to waffle on too much about it, but I really do believe that the monetary system is one of the biggest reasons why we have so much inequality in the world. And I believe in a world where everyone has an equal opportunity to prosper. I don't think the game should be, um, you know, that the, the dice should be kind of uh, stacked in the favor of one set of people. And, and of course, the way money is created through debt and through lending, of course, those with money can borrow as much as they want and uh, and buy assets. And 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 it's creating an increasing divide. I, I don't I don't think it's right that because of that, three people in the U.S. zone more than 50% of the other half of the U S population. Um, and I think those distortions are wrong, but I, you know, I don't think central banks are going to do anything about it anytime soon. So I think it's, uh, it's up to entrepreneurs and, uh, individuals to look at ways in which we can opt out of that system and effectively put ourselves on our own sound money systems, whether they be crypto or gold based, uh, or whatever.
1: Well, Jason, I I always find that so interesting because people always scoff at this idea of gold. Oh, you want to go back to a gold standard? Let's get our, you know, coin purse out and have some coins jingling on a like a rope belt and we're gonna walk around and you know what? You're gonna pay with a gold coin? That's ridiculous, right? Well, maybe Keith, we'll start with you. What do you think can change the perception of gold as a monetary medium, as a monetary kind of uh, piece of it or asset or instrument versus the dollar or something else that most people think, well, that's money.
2: I just wanted to first uh, add a comment about um, the imminent collapse of the financial system. And that what sticks out in my mind is reading an interview with this uh, woman, I'm trying to remember it, I want to say Carmine something or other, who's an attorney who was uh, some sort of assistant to then um, Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner. And she was talking about in the days, you know, where the, where the crisis was uh, erupting. And, you know, they had these very intense meetings and basically Tim Geithner ran from the room and went into the men's room and was just, you know, sobbing and, and he came back and he said, he felt like he wanted to throw up. And that was the, you know, the leading, um, you know leading minds allegedly uh you know students who shepherded the economy before the crisis they used to call it the uh um not just a new economy what was the term
1: well there was the great moderation keith great moderation
2: that was the term i was looking for yes the great moderation that they had created and when the great moderation turned into a great crisis they wanted to run from the room and go throw up and um these are the people to whom um everybody uh, blindly entrusts their their faith and their belief that, uh, yeah, these people got it, it's all good, and all we have to do is worrying about the next consumer purchase we wanna make or who's winning on the the sports game. Um, So your question was, um, what does it take to change the perception of gold? Um, Partly, I think it's to present gold as a more serious, more adult thing. That's why I've been as aggressive as I have about um, you know, attacking and debunking the, the various conspiracy theories. The latest was, um, I don't know if you saw this, Jason. Um, some, uh, uh, what was it called? Something the Corner got a little spot on um, Australian broadcasting company saying that the Perth Mint had sold, quote, diluted, unquote, gold to the Shanghai Gold Exchange. Um, this diluted, now the body, the body of the article acknowledges the so called diluted gold was, in fact, better than 99.99% pure. So the the concept of dilution and the concept of 99.99. And most people, unless you've taken um, chemistry lab at the university level, may not realize that every little bit of additional purity you're trying to get, whether you're distilling alcohol or refining gold, is exponentially more expensive. There's no such thing as 100%. There's always an impurity. Because to be exposed to the air, you're getting some... Um, impurities, you know, little bits of dust or landing in your uh, molten gold or whatever. And um, you know, people uh, make much ado of this um, and a- according to the article, it wasn't that it was impure gold, although the headlines had diluted, but the issue was that the, what was in the 0.01, uh, which was a tiny fraction of the, of the total weight bar, obviously, but within that 0.01, the specification provided by Shanghai for silver was exceeded, had too much silver within that .01. And I'm like, man, if there's something that smells a lot like a nothing burger, that surely has got to be the nothing burger. (laughs) And uh, so Shanghai Gold Exchange came out yesterday with uh, some sort of announcement that said, this is false. And um, the Perth Mint and the Shanghai Gold Exchange reserve the right to take all legal (laughs) actions to preserve our (laughs) reputations. I was like, okay, well that's the bun for the for the nothing burger. Um, I think we need to get past all this stuff. And then I think it's about, um, uh, you know, and I, I like what, uh, um, I'll say it the American way, what Glint is doing. I think you British would say what Glint are doing. It's a plural for a company. Um, and you study maths, which is a plural and we have math here as a singular. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I like what um, what Glint is doing because you, you're building the infrastructure to allow gold to be used you know, in a certain sense in a conventional way, right? Which is, okay, I have, I have money and it's parked over here and then, uh, you know, if I want to spend my money, I can. And you're just enabling that. So we're not back to the medieval period where, you know, you have to walk around with a little leather purse jingling on a rope belt on your on your robe that you wear around you know, it's, it's on your, it's on your um, Apple wallet or whatever it is. And um, so it has very modern accoutrement uh, to it, but was um, gold rather than, um, you know, bank liability, um, which, you know, Jason, to your point, the bank liability is a return-free risk and the risk is opaque, um, it's, unfa- it's unknowable. I'm not even sure the CEOs of the banks actually truly understand the derivative book and what what a disorderly unwind, you know, might look like. Um, certainly, the regulators don't understand it. Certainly, the public doesn't understand it. Um, and um, uh, anyway, so instead of that, you know, you have gold. All that makes sense, and it it, it will help people become familiar with gold in a different uh, context. Obviously, monetary metals. We're doing something that I think is Uh, as necessary, which is if gold is money, if that's the thesis, the gold should money should be able to earn a return. Um, And not just because it's going up in terms of a fall in fiat, but actually generating, you know, more money.
0: Well, it's it's funny you should mention that, Keith, because I was at, um, let's just call it a conference of uh, the gold industry. And I met somebody who told me that, you know, he had been the chairman of this venerable institute, you know, you know, club of uh people from the gold industry and when i told him what i did he said to me he tried to kind of um you know pop holes in it and he said well you know gold doesn't give a yield and i said to him yes but neither do dollars or pounds give a yield you know if you stick them in the vault um as we do with our customer gold you know they don't give you a yield either and right. of course, of course, you can decide to choose to put your pounds or dollars uh, with an element of risk, um, you know, uh, if you want to get a return. But of course, you can do that with gold too. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, you know, what he had nothing to say. But I mean, it's this. I I think it's this. Um, you know, fifty years. You know, fifty years of temporarily coming off the gold standard is somehow. Made people think that gold isn't money anymore. Yeah, thing? so
2: this guy who's Gold Central, he's the good old boy of the good old boys' network of gold. Yeah, um, you know, completely dismissing doing anything new with gold. He just wants to keep it in stasis, you know, as 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 it was and and not change. It reminds me of a very sad expression, which unfortunately is all too often true. And the expression or the saying is or the quote, and I don't remember who. Um, said this science advances one funeral at a time. Yeah. Uh, now I don't wish anybody well, you know, ill. I I think in this case it's not going to be a funeral so much as uh you know we the, the gold 2.0 companies mm-hmm. will just move the ball forward and the old guard will be standing there, you know, in the 10-yard line, uh, you know, just sort of out of the action, off the camera, <laughs> you know, kind of wondering what the heck happened. Um, but, uh, you, you, know, I had a very similar experience, Jason, when you said a lot of people said they won't let you do it and can't be done. And, you know, in the U S they point to cases like, uh, Bernard for and, um, uh, what's his name, Douglas Jackson, you know, and these are people who made pretty obvious legal blunders. You can't stamp a coin and put a dollar face value on it as, That's uh, we're right. did. Uh, you can't flaunt the anti-money laundering laws as Douglas Jackson did, um, and so the, you know they point to that. So they won't let you. They're going to shut down gold, and it's like, no, look, there's a bunch of laws you got to uh, comply with. I don't necessarily agree that those laws should be, but if you're going to do business, then that's just the environment. You just have to build, a, you know, compliance. You know, the yes. compliance process, and you just have to do it. And if you do all those things, then um, nobody yeah. shut you down. Nobody shut us down and and that,
0: and that and that's you know that's what we've been very we've been very much um, adopting and embracing you know the regulatory environment since before we even started. So we are regulated by the financial conduct authority, um part of the Bank of England. um and it's painful, and it means that you have to spend a lot more time and money on things, on setting up the processes and the governance around your company. And actually, we were able to do this, even though gold itself isn't regulated by the FCA because we're dealing with client money. Um, And, you know, as you say, sometimes you don't agree with uh, we don't agree with some of the, um, you know, the, the, the centralized government initiatives. That are there to protect us but in, in in this particular case it's very frustrating uh to be doing this and and watching for instance a lot of people in the cryptocurrency industry you know running roughshod of, over these regulations and um i kind of see the regulatory clampdown that's been going on with crypto who by the way are my friends you know i they have a similar vision and mission i think for the world but i, I it's no surprise to me that we're seeing a big regulatory clampdown on this. And it's not big, not, I don't think there's some big conspiracy as to, you know, some requirement not to let cryptocurrencies take hold. I just, I, I think that they generally believe these institutions that, hang on, we've been set up to protect the needs of the consumer. And when things like FDX happen, and of course, you know, they've been caught uh, off guard and they need to make sure that these companies are all playing on the same level, level playing field. And, that, and really, that's in a way, so one of the reasons why I'm quite glad that this re- regulatory uh, leveling up is happening, because uh, e- either you get rid of all the regulations or you make sure everyone's complying with them. But it's not good to have a situation where it's one or it, it, it's different for different people. But g- going back to your question, Ben, I think it's also a matter of perspective. You know, it's no, it's no coincidence that uh, I was in tech for a long time before I kind of came across this issue about money and about about uh, the monetary system and gold, and it's no coincidence. I don't think that, uh, certainly to start off with Glint, our early adopters were older, you know, typically 35 and 40 up, um, and we're definitely reaching a younger audience now. But um, perspective is really important. As, as I've got older, I've realized how quickly you know, life goes by and actually how short our lives are. I'm 52. I talk about when you came off the gold standard, you know, that was in 1971, just 50 years ago. It is nothing. You know, I was in Sydney seeing my friend the other day and I realized I, I felt like I'd only been gone three months. It'd been nine years, nearly a whole decade. And yet, if you're a young 35 year old person and you haven't read history or don't have any interest in history, you 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 have no idea what the norm is like. So you have you know you have no idea what normal interest rates are. You have no idea what inflation is. You don't re- you don't you have no idea what gold is, and and it's kind of like because for this sh- tiny short period of time, that this is how the world works now. You know, I gave a, and so, uh,
2: a talk at a um, was a simpatico company here in the U.S. that organized a seminar and I gave a talk and um, the uh, person at that company who kind of did all the event planning and everything, was an uh, uh, administrative assistant of some sort. And she was, I don't know, 23 or 24 years old. And a lot of my talk was about, you know, the interest rate, the collapse of the interest rate, you know, post-2008, nobody can earn interest on their on their, on their money anymore. She came up to me afterwards, she said, I've never thought about it, because basically her entire the entire time that she's been aware, I mean, one becomes aware of these things, I guess, before one turns 21, but let's go at 14 or 15 or something like that there hadn't been any such things interest and she just thought that that was life that was normal and plan around it and whatever and um she had a little bit of perspective that yeah before 2008 um there was actually interest not a lot but something and um everyone just takes for granted today and you know recency bias takes over and yeah you know it's normal right
0: yeah recency bias. that's a phrase I, I think I just learned. I learned from you. it's a it's a good, it's a really interesting phrase. Um, and uh, I think people mix up, you know the kind of perspective they have and the surprises they get from recency bias with Black Swan events, which really should be two very different things. It's not really that surprising that we're we're having inflation now, and it's not surprising that we have normal interest rates again um these are not black swan events but for a 34 year old or a 35 year old many of which are in very influential positions i know in the uh, you know many of our uh, world leaders and uh, local uh, leaders are now you know coming into power at, at quite young ages which is which is good to to get young blood into into politics but um but of course there's no perspective there unless they've taken the trouble to understand to get the perspective which i think you know uh, people need and and obviously as you get older as well there's a tendency for a lot of people to get set in their ways which is what you were talking about before keith uh, and somehow yeah. we need to get that married with the creativity and the flexible mindset of a younger person I'm not quite sure how that happens so we're, totally we're,
2: screwed. we're totally screwed because the young people don't have the perspective and the old people don't have the flexibility to change change their mm-hmm. thinking. so um, i'm just is- kidding you. Your your
1: honorable your honorable host is 24 and is into gold um, and is still flexible, hopefully. Can't touch my toes, but flexible in other ways. All right. So why don't I ask you this? Um, let's say I am 24. I've never heard of this whole gold thing before. You know, I've heard of meme stonks and, you know, crypto. And uh, I don't know, you, you guys are old heads talking about gold. Why don't you each give me the one-minute pitch? Why should I have gold? Is it a good financial option? I've never heard anything about gold. You know, today's my first day. Jason, we'll start let with me, you. Let me just, let me I just interject
2: one thing. Don't call us boomers. <laughs> okay. Jason, Keith, Jason's you're not a boomer. boomer. Jason's 52. I'm 55. <laughs> we are Generation X. I'm proud of it.
1: Okay, um, Generation X. I'll start with Jason. Jason, give me the well, one for, for,
0: for, well, First of all, I don't think gold's an investment. So let's get really clear from my perspective. You know, stocks... Uh, and things like that, that you are investing in a company, which is run by people, it has a thesis that it might grow, you are definitely putting your money at risk, that money could all go to zero if that company goes bust. And so, you know, we've seen 85% falls in stock markets before, you can certainly see 100% falls in individual stocks. These are risk assets, right, which are you're investing in. Gold is money, it is the most sound money You know, available, it is the golden constant it doesn't ever change the confidence in fiat currencies, the US dollar goes up and down and generally down, which makes it look like the price of gold is going up and down and generally up. So we're in a situation now where young 24 year olds are thinking. You know, they're getting disillusioned about saving they don't think they'll ever be able to afford an apartment or a house so they get involved in speculative things speculative gr- high growth uh options that uh, investments that might might be able to get them to catch up to be able to effectively they feel like they're swimming against the tide how do they get that how do they move forward and, and my my message is this look Absolutely, you know, download apps like Robinhood, get involved in and in looking at how you invest in businesses and stuff, but be very clear about the difference between that and sound hard money. Gold is the choice for me. If you want to save your money and you want to make sure that it's purchasing power of the long term doesn't decrease, uh, you might find that in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, when you've got the uh, gathered enough gold, you'll be able to have a deposit. For an apartment that you've always dreamt of, whereas if you just saved it in US dollars, pounds, or euros, or whatever fiat currency you're in, there's a I can just about guarantee it'd be nearly it'd be worth a lot less than it, it was previously. So, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, make your investments if you need to. I would also say dollar price average. don't just go out and save up your money and then buy as much gold as you can. As I said, it might be a time when the fiat currency has got a lot of confidence behind it uh, uh, or, or, or not. you might be buying at a high price or a low price. Just buy a little bit every month. why not? And then uh, when you need to spend it, you can do and it should have it, and more often than not it would have, it would have uh, kept up its purchasing power uh, and make sure you're buying real gold. I mean, there's a lot of uh, stuff out there, unallocated gold, ETFs that, are to- or tokens that are backed by gold or supposed to be backed by gold. I-, I always say make sure you're buying real allocated gold. Uh, and, of course, if you want to get yields on that, then that's over to uh, to you guys. But uh...
1: Okay, Keith, your turn. You're not a boomer, but uh, you're definitely older than 24, so g- give a 24-year-old advice. They've never heard of gold. Maybe they'll, they'll think about investing after they you know, hear from you.
2: I, th- I think it really starts with um, an education and it starts with, you know, and I, and I 100% agree with something Jason just said that gold's not an investment. It's money. Now in in the context of investment, what's money? Money is the thing that you want to hold when you don't actually want to invest when you want to sell your investments and not be invested, not taking the risk, not exposed to systemic, um, uh, you know risks and 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 crisis and whatever. When you sell and you want to cash out and just hold money, money is the not investment. It's the anti, not anti investment. It's the thing that when you're not investing, you're holding money, and that that should lead you down a conceptual, you know, almost epistemological path. Okay, well, what does that mean? What's the difference between a stock? I mean, I can sell my stock, and uh, you know, buy uh, you know, buy consumer goods with it. Especially if somebody were clever enough to hook up an API to my stock account and let me spend my stocks, or I could have an ETF of a basket of stocks and then you know sell that down. What's the difference? Why is why is stocks not money? Well, as Jason said, counterparty. In order for some, you know, money is the thing that there isn't a counterparty. Money is the final uh, payment of to extinguish a debt when there isn't anybody else. You're literally taking your marbles, getting up, brushing off the sand, and leaving the sandbox. And going home, taking your marbles home. Well, why is that important? And when does that matter? And, and there's a whole conceptual set of things. The the Bitcoin people, um, and I agree, Jason, a lot, a lot of what started an ethos is very similar to what we're trying to do. But then a funny thing happened along the way, which is number go up. And the more the number go up, the more that it's first of all attracting people that don't have any idea, don't care what the original ethos was. It's now about rolling the dice. Baby needs a new pair of shoes, come on, let's go. And um, you know, and they start to say all these things which are, are, are very glib and smoothly roll up their tongue. And you really have to have um, a, a thoughtful response when they say, well, Bitcoin is, is self custody and gold you must custody in the hands of somebody else. Now, first of all, you can obviously hold your own gold in your own hands um, as you could with uh, with your Bitcoin, sort of, except in Bitcoin, you're not holding the Bitcoin. The Bitcoin, to the extent that it exists, exists as a number in, in a database maintained by others. You just have a password that unlocks that record. Um, and so, you, you, know, you have to think about this at, at a deeper level. And as you do, you come to realize why gold always was money Long before the baby boomers, and um, you know, continues to be money long after the baby boomers. And I'll just add one thing: Jason said the golden constant. Um, I, I point to the fact I had a debate with a, a gentleman. Did you see the debate, Jason? Uh, I debated Pierre Rochard, one of the leading um, Bitcoin voices, um, under the uh, auspices of the Soho Forum.
0: Um, yeah, and- yeah. I, I, I haven't, I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm going to. And, um,
2: you know, I, I, I put up one slide, like we had an opportunity to put up slides if we wanted. I just brought one slide and it was a slide showing the price of gold for 5,000 years. And it was just a flat line. And I said, look, this is not just ha ha, you know, we're being funny, you know, one equals one, A equals A, tautology. Um, this actually means something. And what it means is that for 5,000 years, we've been accumulating gold. It's the only commodity for which there's no such thing as a glut. We just accumulate it without any particular limit. Now, economics teaches us that commodities have a, a value at the margin, a marginal utility, which diminishes as the quantity goes up. That is, each additional unit, whether it's oil, whether it's wheat, whether it's cotton, whether it's copper, each additional unit is worth less at the margin until a glut is the point where. the the value, the market value, actually falls below the cost of production. Nobody can make any money producing it anymore. They have to shut down production. Of course, that incentivizes additional consumption until the glut is worked off. But it's not true with gold. That for 5,000 years, we still produce gold. Its value hasn't fallen either at all, I would argue, or if it falls, it falls so slowly, it might as well be a flat line that um, the value of the nth plus one ounce of gold is the same as the value of the end ounce, which if you think about it, that's exactly what, what you'd wanna monitor a monetary unit. Now we're not talking about in this case savings, we're talking about economic calculation. The most fundamental and important uh, uh, calculation in economics, the economics has to explain how the firm does this, is the firm has to know whether it's creating or destroying wealth, which means it needs some sort of arithmetic, some sort of calculus to say, okay, we operated for a year, are we richer or poorer than we were before? And if you're counting your richness or your poorness in terms of grains of sand, molecules of water, but even bales of cotton or barrels of oil, well, the values of those things can go up and down so much that they can go up or down more than whatever the net change in wealth of the firm is. So you need a, a, an objective unit to measure you know, things like uh, wealth creation and, and firm and profit and loss, especially in, in long-term, uh, you know, businesses where you have long-term finance and you have debt capital and equity capital. You're not just looking at, uh, uh, you know, kid opens a lemonade stand, you know, for a day and buys, you know, $5 worth of ingredients and sells it for $10. It's easy to know whether the kid made or lost money. But now let's say you want to borrow money and operate a factory for 30 years. How do you know at the end of 30 years, you know, you paid $100,000 for the factory in um, 1993, the factory is now a million dollars, is the factory worth more or is the monetary unit with which you measure the factory you know, worth less? And um, because gold has demonstrated that the N plus one unit is valued the same as the Nth unit going back 5,000 years, then gold is the, is the way you perform that calculation which avoids the booms and the busts and avoids the need for the Geithners of the world have to go run to the toilet and feel like they want to vomit um, to tie it all together.
1: Okay, you convinced me, Keith. I'm 24, but after hearing that speech about gold, I am so in. Gold is money, it's not an investment. Okay, I, I, I know we're about to wrap up here soon, but I kind of want to get to a bunch of different topics, kind of get your lightning round, quick thoughts on a bunch of different topics from the UK to the pension system to funding to rate hikes. So I'll kind of ask a question, I'll each give you kind of a Quick, short minute to explain what your thoughts are, and then I'll go to the other participants. So we'll start with you, Jason. Have you seen how rate hikes are affecting, let's say, your business personally or businesses in the UK? And do you think that because of that, the Fed or the ECB is going to have to turn around and pivot?
0: Look, I think that the uh, the winds of inflation and the winds of recession are conspiring to create a storm that the Fed It's impossible for the Fed or any other central bank to fit to battle or fix. Of course, we all know that uh, in order to battle inflation, the Fed is increasing interest rates, uh, of course, that creates uh, recessionary pressures on the environment. Businesses, people are becoming under increasing pressure as their cost of money, which for the, <laughs> for the last decade or so has been free, suddenly they're realizing that it's comes at an extreme uh, at, a, at a lot a lot bigger cost. Of course, to fight recession, uh, you, you know, you need to do the opposite. You need to loosen monetary policy, print more money, and lower interest rates. So the two battles are in complete. The, the solutions are in complete opposite so we've got this storm that's been brewing with that At the moment i see the fed you know being very robust about its interest rates i can't see it happening uh, continuing in the long term i suppose the us has the advantage over a lot of other economies um in that uh, it's a bit more buoyant it can you know it can create its own money as well and it has it's, it's benefited from that over the last uh, period so it's in it's a, it's a stronger position than most um uh, but I but I see, look, I, businesses are, are are going to be going bust, and so are people. I mean, you know, people's mortgages, they, you know, they, up until now, they maybe haven't had to renew their mortgage. And when is their mortgage renewed? Is that, you know, is the majority of people's mortgages going to get renewed, come up for renewal next year? At what point? At some point, that's going to happen, and the Fed is not going to allow people to lose their homes on a mass scale. They're not going to allow businesses to go, to go bust and yet all this free money up until now, these you know junk bonds so to speak have been propping up inefficient businesses. there's been a massive uh, inappropriate uh, allocation of funds into the economy. It's all going to shake out. and so at that point, I think they will have to pivot and they will have to lower interest rates and then we'll be back into a battle then with recession and I think we're going to ping pong between the two problems for the next 10 years.
1: Keith, I want to hear your take. Do you think that the way that these rate hikes are destroying businesses, you know, leading us towards a recession if we're not in one already, do you think they're gonna to have to pivot?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was gonna say uh, to Jason's comment about some of the differences between the US economy and the rest of the world. I'm trying to remember the statistic, but the majority or if not vast majority of mortgage home residential mortgages in the US are fixed rate for relatively long terms. And that's not true in the rest of the world um so uh rising rates aren't necessarily going to hit homeowners in the form of higher monthly payments however um it's going to hit them in the form of lower home values uh because people you know most people who buy a home are payment buyers not they don't really care what the price is they care what the payment is and so you know with an interest rate now you know what it is versus what it was a year ago um people can afford a lot less house so once they the comparables start to fall. I think a lot of people are gonna say, you know, I'm so upside down on this house. I'm just, it's called jingle mail. They put the keys in the in the, in the mail and send it to the bank and they just walk away. That was uh, commonplace in uh, 2008, 2009. And I'm, I'm, I imagine we're gonna see a lot of that. So you have two problems. The creditors are um, gonna be in a bad way because the debtors will be defaulting on all sorts of things. We already see the statistics that, um, Subprime auto loans are, uh, have rapidly rising default rates right now. Um, I don't think there's yet uh, data showing rapidly rising mortgage defaults, um, but I imagine that will be coming in the rest of the world as, as the payments go up. Um, as far as business, um, you know, people talk about the crowding out effect of the government borrowing. Right now, if the government is, is saying, hey, we're going to pay you on a short-term treasury bill, of, you know, call it 5%, and now the Fed is actually threatening to hike that even higher. So what, let's say the one-month T-bill is paying 6%. Well, you know, a business, in order to in order to get that, that investor to say, I'm not going to lend to the government 6%, I'm going to lend to this risky, small to medium enterprise, what interest rate does that risky, small to medium enterprise have to offer in order to get that capital? Well, it has to be held a lot higher than 6%. Now, the problem is, um, for decades, the interest rate's been falling. And every time the interest rate ticks down and enables the next marginal business to open up their new store, their new plant, their new dock, warehouse, whatever, um, and uh, expand you know, supply, expand um, production, which means that they pull down, as long as there is a positive spread between the marginal return on capital and the market rate of interest, and then the interest, rate of interest is being manipulated by the government, so it's not subject to uh, the, you know, a free market and the forces that would occur in a free market, then you're just pulling down the return on capital. So we've spent 40 years pulling down the return on capital. We've spent over a decade at effectively zero interest rates and pulling down the return on capital across the board to marginally above zero. Now you say, let's hike the interest rates to 6%. Well, nobody's return on capital is suddenly skyrocketing to 6%. And so the only way to to rectify that is, um, as the cost of borrow goes up, firms are either going to liquidate their capital stock in order to repay their debts and effectively try to deleverage somehow. But if the entire economy is full of a one-sided trade where everyone's trying to deleverage, then that doesn't work, or they just default. Um, and bit by bit, all this production capacity has to be destroyed. Um, which, if you're interested in lower consumer prices, we're talking about massive destru- destruction of supply. That's not necessarily uh, going to do what uh, what people want. Um, anyways, I apologize. That was a longer answer. It's supposed to be a lightning round. That's um, okay. Okay, we'll, we'll most... do
1: we'll 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 do one more uh, quick lightning question. Which is okay. A lot of people have said, Keith, Jason, yes, you're right the monetary system has issues. And the way we're gonna fix those issues is that the governments and central banks are gonna offer a digital currency. This will help uh, put interest rates lower if we need to. We can make sure that people have safety of their deposits. You can always check on your phone and say, hey, listen, my my, my digits say that I have my money right here. You can send it back and forth to each other. What do we need gold for, Jason, if we're gonna have a central bank digital currency?
0: So I think central banking digital currencies uh, pose the biggest threat to civil liberties we've ever had, first of all. Why is that? Well, I think it's a problem at best that's trying to find a solution that doesn't exist. And at worst, as we've seen in China, it's a mass, it's it's a method of mass control. Uh, over over citizens and population. you know why do we need it? We already have innovation within the financial system around things like cross-border po- cross-border transactions and, and 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 new and interesting ways of making payments, etc. but of course, I, I you know. I generally think that people within this, uh, the central banking digital currency world have the best intentions, but the problem is if something's corruptible, eventually it will be. These CBDCs will be, will become programmable. They won't be able to resist it. That means they can control. They'll say, hey, it'll all happen at the next crisis. They'll say, listen, we now can just be able to inject money to the people who need it most because now we know everything about you. We know what you spend. We know how much money you've got. We know what you spend it on. And so we'll only be able to give these credit it's the people who really need it and so please um you know sign up to central banking digital currency uh, and we'll make sure you'll get your your welfare payment in this terrible situation that we're going through at the minute whether it's a pandemic or whatever it is whatever crisis it will be the problem is with this they'll literally know everything about you they'll know more than they've ever known about you they'll know all your spending habits they'll be able to say hey jason you know uh, i'm sorry you can't buy that chocolate you're a bit overweight today and uh, you know i'm just saying it to get the point across you know we've already seen um, that in Canada, um, g- governments, you know, close people's bank accounts down because they were protesting. We've seen in China, the first company, the first country in the world to adopt CBDCs, uh, using it as a as a method of mass control. And of course, uh, you know, we've got social credit systems that mean that. Well, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to lend you so much money. We're going to choose which interest rate you get. I mean, the level of manipulation that's possible with these things is off the charts. And so, we do need to be able to free ourselves from the tyranny of central banks i think we need to be able to have adopt private money it's really important because of this and listen i hope that none of these things happen soon but eventually if it can be corrupted it will be corrupted
1: keith i want to hear your take i don't know these central bank digital currencies they seem kind of cool you know i have venmo on my phone i can send someone uh, a digital payment now, you know, I, I, I can't remember the last time I paid in cash. I've got an Apple wallet, you know, it just pays like this. This central bank digital currency, it's just the new wave of technology. You don't understand Keith, Let, let's hear your thoughts.
2: Have you ever seen those old Soviet brutalist, um, you know, art where, you know, the camera was looking up and you'd see this chiseled, you know, Russian peasant with his hammer and his sickle and whatever, and this you know, sort of grim expression on his face. No doubt that um, in the 1950s, that was cool to, um, you know, to the Russian people that it, it presented their idealized uh, or stylized um, you know, sense of life. Um, getting past the coolness, um, you know, I, I certainly agree. With, I mean, how could anybody not agree with what Jason just said, that this is just ratcheting up the level of control. Now, p- part of me is just cynical and just wants to say, they already basically have the tools for that control anyway, given the, uh, first of all, the surveillance state, the USA Patriot Act, and, and other things that the NSA has inserted, um, Echelon and other servers, in all the big internet service providers that can sniff all your traffic, um, anything that touches the payment system, SWIFT, credit cards, bank accounts. Um, they already can monitor it anyway, um, and they already can dole out. You know, foods they call it EBT, the the food stamp program here, the the cards. Um, But this, you know, this ratchets it to a whole nother level of, you know, Orwell. I mean, that's really the only word that comes to my mind. But in addition to that, I would add one other thing, which is I I think what makes CBDCs necessary, and I use the word necessary, you know, if if you're the power mad uh, person running the system, if you're the dictator, desperately clinging to power and events are spiraling out of your control, Um, you know, you're desperately taking desperate measures, Um, you know, in the case when the interest rate returns to its collapsing mode, which I predict that it will, when it eventually gets below zero, it gets sufficiently below zero, right? So, you know, if it's one basis point below zero, I don't think that really motivates a lot of people to change their behavior. In Switzerland, I don't know if it still is, for quite a number of years, it was minus 75 basis points, minus 0.75%. No, not like individual retail accounts, but for larger corporate institutional accounts. So um, I I have a friend who's in the vault business in Switzerland, and they have one of the old mountain vaults that uh, the Swiss government used during World War II to hide gold and munitions and other things Anyway, now it's privately owned and they put in obviously modern security systems and um, climate control, they have artwork in there and they have gold in there and all kinds of things. And they have corporate institutional clients who have offloaded 18-wheelers pallets full of franc banknotes um, to put in uh, in the vault because the cost of getting those, those banknotes from the bank And shipping them, obviously, that has to be highly secured uh, carrier. Uh, You know, guys with guns have to be escorting that up and so forth. The cost of all that is less than the cost of just simply leaving the balance in the bank. Um, Now, that effectively constitutes a run on the bank uh, that everyone is saying, give me my cash back, which will will destroy the banking system. So when the interest rate gets sufficiently negative, then the banking system is going to be a casualty that goes under the bus. Or at least the retail deposit-taking banks, anyway, not necessarily the investment banks and what you know, passes for banking nowadays, shuffling treasury paper around. But um, when that happens, um, they're going to be desperately looking for a solution for people to be able to have a deposit account so that they can hold a money balance, transfer money balance, but that uh, you know isn't subject to a run on the bank. So they're going to say, okay, we're offering CBDCs, and by the way, your paper notes are no longer going to be legal tender. Bring those in before this date; um, otherwise, uh, those are going to be demonetized, and uh, you know you lose. And unlike the old silver coinage, when they did that, you know there's no—I uh, hate the term intrinsic value—but there's no intrinsic value to the paper. So when they say the paper is demonetized, that's it. And then they'll force everybody into their—you know—it's like herding all the animals into the pen. Everybody will be herded into the CBDCs, and then they can impose a negative interest rate on your savings account that corresponds to the same negative interest rate that they have on um, uh, or, or that will be the deposit account um, or, or if there still are commercial deposit-taking banks the negative interest rates will match and so cbdc's don't offer uh, or, or bank. you know there's no reason to pull cash out of the out of the banks to the point i'm trying to make um, now people are going to say what are well, they going to do about gold or crypto They don't care, because remember, if you buy gold, that's not a redemption event. That is not forcing a bank to sell assets and redeem you as it was before uh, 1933. It's simply a trade. The person who owns the gold gives up the gold, and the person who has the dollars gives up the dollars. The only thing that changes in the banking system is the name on the record of those dollars. What they're trying to do is control the dollar system and make sure there's not a run that destroys you know, trillion dollar balance sheets. So I think, yeah, I think they're gonna come because I think negative interest rates are coming. I also agree, it's gonna to be too tempting. It's a one ring, right? That was that was Tolkien's analogy. It's the one ring of power. And everyone says, oh yeah, I'm gonna be Frodo and I'm gonna resist the ring. And the moment they see the ring, they, they, they all turn into Boromir. You know, <laughs> good analogy. Give me the ring Frodo. I will <laughs> use this ring to do good. And, um, you know what are they going to do with it? Well, they're going to control our lives. You know, try to make they're going to tell them that we're going to make people healthier by losing weight, and then in the end it's going to be a, an Orwellian, uh, you know, nightmare. If if we let it go that far, I don't I don't think that I think the jury's still out. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that this is you know going to happen. If if, if the people say look no, then that's it. Just like they said no to masks at the end of the day.
1: Keith, I, I find. Maybe I can summarize what you said, both of you, for, for a little old me, 24-year-old. So, you know, we're already not really making much in interest payments on our savings. And if for some crazy reason, a crisis or what have you, the government needs to push interest rates actually below zero into the negative, meaningfully negative territory, most people like me would say, well, listen, you know, why would I put my cash in a bank? I'll just leave it at home. Zero is better than negative, Right. Um, yeah. But with the central bank digital currency, there is no, well, I'll just redeem what little redeemability I have of my cash from the bank. It it has a negative interest rate, regardless of whether you want to or not, because your money is in digital format, regardless of whether you want it or not. Is that right?
2: Yeah, they've got you and um, they can force I, you. I, Yeah, I think, I think and that's
0: it. one problem, but there are lots of problems with it. Okay. So I'm going to, Mark you both down as
1: against CBDCs uh, and pro gold. You crazy little gold bugs. Okay, so Jason, uh, as we end here, I want to ask you a final question that I ask all the guests, which is, what's a question that you think I should ask all the future guests?
0: Okay, I mean, there's there's a question I think that's on everyone's minds right now, uh, a lot of people's minds right now. Uh, we saw that um, the you know the dollar used to be backed by gold, and when we came off the gold standard. We kind of went on to an oil standard. The petrodollar began when the US went to the Middle East and promised to protect them because, um, you know, with their weapons in return for them using uh, only the dollar to to allow purchases of, of, of oil. Now, of course, that seems to have been broken and we have lots of people being able to buy oil now with other currencies we see the problem since 1971 that all this has created with a massive creation of debt and the money supply and the system and inherent inflation all the distorted sides of the economy as a result i suppose the question could be you know how long do you think the u.s dollar uh, can maintain its status as the reserve currency of the world
1: That is a great question and a great way to end. Jason, where can people find more about you and Glint and your work if they're interested?
0: Well, um, if you want to put yourself on your own personal gold standard, then I recommend that you go and have a look at glintpay.com. That's glintpay.com. Or of course, go onto your favorite app store and download the app. Uh, It's available in most countries. Uh, Cards that we issue are only available in the UK and the US at the moment, but coming to Europe soon.
1: Jason, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Gold Exchange Podcast and we'll have to see you soon.
0: Thanks so much. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by
1: Monetary Metals. Monetary Metals is a different kind of gold company. Others buy and sell gold. Monetary Metals operates the Gold Yield Marketplace, a platform of products that offer a yield on gold paid in gold to investors and institutions and are gold financing simplified reliable financing denominated in gold with a built-in hedge for gold-using and gold-producing businesses. To learn more, visit www.monetary-metals.com. See you next time!